Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. We are here today with Joe Langford, and you guys, I think you are really going to enjoy this conversation. Joe is a dad, a therapist, and a sex educator, and he is going to be talking to us about sex education in the 21st century. We are going to talk about all of those difficult-to-tackle topics, things like porn, things like how to be inclusive in your sex ed, things like, you know, how do you make sense of and help your kids understand transgender people and queer people? And what if your kid is telling you that they might be transgender or gay? How do you have those conversations? How do you create a welcoming climate in your home and in your family? Uh, Joe, we are so glad that you're here with us today. I'm happy to be here too. Thanks for having me. Now, you have uh, two children, and one of them is a 14-year-old boy. A lot of our listeners are also have boys in that age group, so that's prime time for some of these conversations. Great. Yeah, it is. You also wrote a couple books that I want to refer to. We'll put them in our show notes. Um, he has written Spare Me the Talk, A Guy's Guide to Sex, Relationships, and Growing Up. There's also a girl companion book for that. And his brand new book is The Pride Guide, The Guide to Sexual and Social Health for LGBTQ Youth. And that is a groundbreaking book as far as I know. Talk a little bit uh, about that book and why you wrote it and got it out there. Sure. I I work with uh, sexuality. That's kind of been one of my specialities for almost 20 years now, working with teenagers. And uh, I just got kind of frustrated trying to find uh, resources for kids who are non-binary or trans, who, who don't fall into that straight cisgender category. And there was just nothing there. And I, I was like, I can't believe it's 2017 and there's not a puberty book that includes trans kids. So I decided to write it. <laughs> so I spent a year, I got a really great core team of, uh, of LGBT uh, professionals to help kind of coach me and vet it before I sent it off to the publisher. And um, it turned out really well. So yeah, it's the, it's the only book in print right now that is a puberty book specifically for LGBTQ kids. And then like with my other books, there's a section in the back that's just for the parents because okay. I think parent support in a situation like that is so integral. Things can go so south so fast if the parents aren't supportive or on board. Right. You know, universally speaking, Parents love their kids. Parents want the best for their kids. And a lot of parents, when it comes to talking about sex, gender, and sexuality, are just really overwhelmed. And even though they love their kids, they feel like this is a whole new world of things that didn't exist before which is likely not true. It's that we're talking about things more. Talk about that. Um, for parents, you know, if, if parents are heterosexual and grew up in a heterosexual household, this is so outside their experience sometimes, it doesn't seem like it can possibly be real or true. That's not at all true. But how do you expand your own parenting to be open and inclusive and welcoming? Because none of us really know who our children are. Right. 
well, our kids don't know who they are yet, right? That they're still in that process of figuring it out. I think the first thing for parents, kind of all, all of us parents, I think, to kind of acknowledge and sort of focus on is just being nice to ourselves, right? Uh, the world changes. I think that happens for every generation. But I think specifically for the people who are parents now, the world looks very, very different than it did mm-hmm. when we were our kids' ages. Like, there's been a lot of change, mostly around technology. And so it, we really are dealing with a whole different kind of universe, right? Mm-hmm. And with the LGBTQ uh, kids specifically, you know, it's a unique population because that's the only minority class who doesn't have that represented in their own family, right? Like most Muslim kids have Muslim parents. Most black kids mm. have black parents. Most LGBT kids have straight cisgender parents. So that is a, a hurdle that people have to be able to get over. Um, and so being nice to ourselves, giving ourselves a little bit of grace, a little bit of understanding, it's okay to not know what all the words mean. It's okay to not know how to have the conversation properly. It's okay to forget to remember to be inclusive at Thanksgiving dinner when grandma's telling a joke or something. So I think just just having that grace is kind of the, the first place to start. That's just so important. I'm really glad you said that, you know, that we can forgive ourselves a little bit and that it is a whole new world and we just have to expand our learning and in that, you know, there are a lot of words that we don't, that are new to us. And ultimately though, Jen, I think it comes back to what you said, you know, we love, love our kids first. That's where it starts and acceptance and that can be really hard. And so if that's challenging for any of our listeners out there, there are wise people like Joe Langford to reach out to and that there's resources and this pride guide is, you know, I, I want to get it just so I can educate myself and understand these kids more. Can you talk a little bit about inclusive language that parents can use? You know, as we start talking to our kids about sex and relationships, I caught myself saying, because it was completely normal to me to say, you know, well, when you have a girlfriend or, um, you know, wait till you're interested in girls, usually in reference to things like finally then you'll want to take a shower on a regular basis. But (laughs) when I worked on an article uh, about inclusive sex ed, and this, the audience was teachers for that one, but it was in interviewing people such as yourself, that work with youth all across the sexuality and gender spectrum, that I realized some of those comments can actually create distance and make it harder for kids to come out. So what what are some better alternatives? How can we talk to our kids and keep those lines of conversation open? Um, I, I think I get uh, emails about this kind of stuff a lot. And it's, again, it's difficult. It's a, It's kind of a new way to approach things, uh, a new way for some people. Like for queer people, that you know, was the thing that used to be called the pronoun game, where they would t- be able to talk about, you know, I went on a date with someone last night and we went blah, 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 and they had the spaghetti. And they would kind of vague up the pronouns a little bit mm-hmm. to just be able to talk about their experience and not necessarily be outing themselves. Oh. And so uh, we can adopt that and, and do that. So as parents or as, you know, other grownups in queer kids' lives to just... Uh, try to open up our language a little bit. Like, um, is there anyone you like at school rather than like, do you, is there any girls you like? Or mm-hmm. you know, do you have a boyfriend yet? Like, are you dating anyone? Uh, 
um, you know, those, those kinds of things, just so, just to leave it open. Mm-hmm. And then I'm a huge fan of the, the singular they. And if you listen to kids, especially like middle schoolers are getting really good at it. Like they just say they instead of he or she. They say them, their, them, they, they, them, theirs. And this is a place to give ourselves grace because it is, you know, our generation, this is, wow, mind-blowing and really hard to wrap our, our brains and our tongues around the they, the their pronouns. Yes, I think it is. And it, and it, and it kind of trips our brain up a little bit just hearing them. But if you listen to the, like, the younger kids, they, they are using the singular they. They'll mm-hmm. talk about them. Um, I had a client the other day who was just asked his first person out on a date and, you know, they are in my class and, and I asked them if they wanted to go out and they're going to meet me at the thing. And it, it was like eight minutes into the conversation before I figured out if it was a boy or a girl. Um, uh, not that it mattered, but it was interesting. Like if you listen to kids, they're, they're already doing it. And, and people uh, trip up and have a hard time with it. But, uh, but back in the day, you, uh, the word you was also met for multiple people, mm-hmm. um, but it slowly replaced thou and thee. I want to ask you about how to help boys make sense of this and be respectful with language. My guys are struggling with this right now. And the background is that we live in a rural area of Wisconsin, very conservative. They are surrounded by that kind of thinking. And right now, if you would ask them, they would say there's only two genders and it's whatever you were born with at birth. And they know at least one, if not two people that when they met had male names and they knew them for years under this male name. And now one of them has transitioned to female. Uh, the other, honestly, it, because it's, it's more distant, I'm not sure what pronouns this person is using at this point, but my kids think this is all ridiculous and something to make fun of. And I am trying so hard, but I'm sort of at a loss. That's a tough one because you're saying you're, you are immersed in a culture and that is kind of the hardest thing to get past. I think there's a lot of uh, cultural stagnation just as much as there is sort of cultural evolution. I think as Mm. well, there's places that are really kind of holding tight to old ways of thinking and that can get really frustrating, especially with younger kids who are getting kind of inoculated in that. I mean, it's nice that you have people in your world as well who are transitioning because I think the most, the, the fastest, most effective way that people change their thinking about certain things, about kind of any topic, I guess, is to have somebody close to you or somebody that you respect or care about go through that process, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that be, you know, a, having an abortion or coming out of the closet, like anything like that. That's, that is how change kind of happens for some people on a personal level. So it's nice that you have um, people in your life who are, who are kind of going through that process in front of your kids so that they can wade into the pool with them. And if nothing else, they see that these are actual humans. This isn't uh, an issue somewhere else. These are real people with families and friends right. and, and stories. And, and like, I like snark. I like sarcasm. I like humor. Um, but like in my family, our family, one of our family rules is like, you can't make fun of anybody for anything that they don't have control over. If they do something silly, like, game on right if it's because of how tall they are or what their hair is or you know like that that that's kind of not as fair yeah and they will treat them differently because of the color of their skin they don't have any control of that or where they were born or 
uh, what gender they are. That's not something they have control over. Mm-hmm. You know, kids can be incredibly cruel to each other, uh, sometimes <clears throat> on purpose, sometimes thoughtlessly, at least where I am. And I'm really hoping that you're going to tell me it's different where you are in Seattle, but at least where I am, tween and teen boys still hurl around the world gay as an insult. How should we respond when we hear that? Shutting it down is the best response. It still happens. That happens everywhere. That's happening all the time. Somebody's doing it right now, I'm sure. It it does feel a little bit different to me here in the Pacific Northwest because I think we are sort of one of those pretty blue islands. I think most people here are pretty liberal and just like immersing in that culture that trickles down to the kids as well. So I don't know if it happens as frequently as other places. I'd like to think that it doesn't, um, but it does still totally happen. And so the conversation really can be anywhere from really, is that, is that the insult that you're going with? Like, that's, that's pretty like 2007. Like, can you up your game? I love that. That's perfect. Or something like, you know, it's gay is only an insult if you think gay is bad. So if you, you know, if you call people out and you'd be like, so like, why do you hate gay people? And they'd be like, oh, I don't hate gay people. Why are you using that as an insult then? And just go intellectual with it. But the important thing I think is just to say something. Don't, don't say nothing. Just say something. And then that way, at least before the next time they say, I heard of that movie, that movie was so gay. They might just pause for three seconds and think about it before. So here's where I struggle with that. Sometimes I think my guys are doing it just to get a rise out of me because then they'll try things like, but mom, gay means happy and you want to be happy, don't you? Like they're (laughs) playing with language. I understand that. I am still taking the position that I am going to say something each and every time because I I think they're kind of looking for, you know, is it okay? Is there going to be a moment when she lets us get away with this? And I want them to always hear my voice in their head saying, guys, not okay. Yeah, it's their job to push against the wall and it's our job to be the wall they push against. So they need that consistency. They need the boundary. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you're doing mm-hmm. that. Thank you. <laughs> when you work with teens, Joe, do you get a sense from them? What are some of the things that they really wish parents were talking about with them and maybe we're avoiding because you know we're uncomfortable too? Technology, I would say. It's in their job description to buck against the authority. Uh, but it's also in their job description to explore themselves and each other in the world. And so all the stuff that we did when we were their age, the questions we have about stuff, the freaking out about our bodies, the being interested in other people's bodies, the flirting, asking people out, all that stuff they're still doing, but they're doing it on their screens Mm -hmm. rather than doing it in real life or with those ridiculously complicated folded notes that we had to do. (laughs) Um, I still have some of mine. (laughs) Paying more attention to our kids' online lives is really important. The kids get a little bit freaked out. They, that is where they live. That is where they play. It's where they explore and learn and try things out. And it is uncomfortable for them sometimes because there's so many examples of other people doing things that might not be super responsible or smart or safe um, or are intimidating. And, and they're kind of, a lot of kids I find are doing that sort of in a vacuum. They're kind of finding their way through their technological life and working out that sense of themselves as a sexual person and how they interact with the world sexually through that. And the parents just don't have any idea. They just kind of assume 
oh, when they flirt or ask somebody out, they'll do it in real life like I did, but they're already doing it. They're just doing it on their phone. And so, Which isn't necessarily, one's not necessarily better or worse than the other. It no. just is. It's different. Yeah. It just <laughs> is. But But we have the luxury of if we were doing something like, kind of rude or weird that our parents would be like, yeah, maybe people don't like that. Like maybe you should try this or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and so a lot of parents are kind of missing that opportunity, I think, because the, the kids are on their phones and they're flying under the radar. So how do you help parents and kids get connected around technology? Because there has been a big divide and kids think, oh, this is my phone. This is my privacy. Yep. Some parents are very hands-off. Other parents, you know, there's like, how much do, do I check his phone? How much do I intrude? I'll put that in air quotes. Where's the sweet spot of we are supporting you in your exploration as, you know, around asking somebody out and not feeling like we're picking up their phone and going through the text messages And how do we get our kids, and we've talked about this a lot, you know, how do we get them to talk with us and share that discomfort that's there too? Right. I think the best way to find the sweet spot uh, for each kind of unique family is communication. So I really, I generally encourage parents to kind of wade into the pool of technology with their kids. So starting when they're little and, you know, and blocking Software is a great idea when kids are younger. And then as they get older and they get better devices and they get a little bit more freedom and they both in the real world and online, I think going switching to monitoring software um, is a good idea. I think specifically understanding what the apps are that they're using and how they work and jumping in there with them and, and being there as well. Sort of the, the equivalent of, you know, when your parents drove you to the movies and sat in the back when you were up in the front on that first date or whatever. It's kind of that, the version of that, which kids hate, but appreciate in the end. And mm-hmm. it's good for parents to do as well. Um, but having family, family rules is really integral to this process, I think. Uh, having talks about this is how we, our family behaves online. This is what we do online. This is what we don't do online. And kind of setting a tone and putting some guardrails up so that the kids can learn how to navigate that. Otherwise, if we say, oh, I don't know, do whatever the hell you want. There's no, I don't have any expectations or thoughts about this. Then kids are going to do whatever the hell they want with no mm-hmm. thought. One of those issues that parents end up having to deal with in terms of technology in kids is porn. It is so easy to access porn these days, you know? You can stumble across it without even meaning to, never mind if you actually type in certain search terms, it, you know, you can go for days just digging down into the internet. So what kinds of things can parents do to help their kids stay safe on the internet? And by that, I mean, you know, none of us want our, our six-year-old stumbling across, you know, yeah. violent, explicit scenes. And as our kids get older, how do we talk to them about this imagery and and what's real versus what's not? Um, Well, those conversations are super important for families. But like you said, a lot of parents don't really know how to have those conversations. And they change as kids get older. So, you know, when kids are younger, like I said, blocking software is really the safest route to go. Um, Still today, uh, when kids... Uh, run into porn it, it, the first time. It is typically on accident while they're doing something for school or working on a project or watching YouTube or something like that. Um, when kids get old enough where they could start accessing porn on purpose or the porn can find them, which happens a lot, 
um, I think the monitoring software really helps because then if something happens and you can say, okay, time to have a conversation mm-hmm. and you can go sit down with them and do that. Because like you said, it's everywhere. Like kids have to spend more energy uh, to avoid porn now than we ever spent trying to get our hands on the stuff back in the day. <laughs> That's a really good point. Everywhere. Yeah. So the conversations are really important with little kids. You can say, Hey, you know, that sex stuff we talked about, grownups are kind of weird. Sometimes some of them take pictures of themselves naked or doing some of that sex stuff and they put it on the internet. When you see that, come and have a conversation with me so we can figure out how to handle it because it's not okay to see for kids. As they get a little bit older, in the, in the tweens, I think it's really important to just put it out there and say, you're not going to get in trouble if you see that. And it's not for kids. The rule in our family is that that's not okay until you're older and you need to come and tell me about it and then monitor. And I think this is a good place to interject the the idea, and this comes from Amy Lang, our our friend and colleague, all of us, and she talks about how we need to give, especially our tweens, we need to give them an out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, big brother, he's over at a friend's house and big brother comes and says, oh, hey, you guys, check this out. And to give our kids specific words around how do you save face and extricate yourself from a situation that you, yeah, you don't really want to see what Big Brother is showing you. Right. Um, so giving them specific scripts. Uh, Amy Lang at Birds of Bees and Kids is great. Um, we are, we're a good team with that. We're actually working on a big, fun porn project right now. We awesome. the two of us team up and talk about porn a lot, <laughs> like more than the average person talks about. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I got to yes. say that. that phrasing was interesting right there. We're working on a big, fun porn project right now. <laughs> Cut off that sentence, it would have a different meaning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my uh, the calendar of my phone says porn with Amy quite often. So uh-huh. nice. good, good. Well, we'll be happy to have you on discussing <laughs> porn. What about with older kids? I mean, the truth of the matter is a lot of human beings do enjoy looking at porn. And one of the things that I noticed when I was looking at your website that I really liked, and we'll put a link in there, you have all these free guidelines. And yeah. one was porn, the guide to a healthy grabbit habit. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, yeah, the guidelines are great. I think it really, I put them out there because I do think as a value, it's really important to have expectations around this kind of stuff. And like you saw on them, some of them, some of them are about having your first smartphone. Some of them it's about cyberbullying. There's one about porn, alcohol consumption. So having, it just gives the parents a way to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm, and I mean, mm-hmm. These are the points you want to hit when you're talking about it. And here's some examples of how to advocate for healthy use. Cause you're right. Most people are going to look at porn at some time in their lives. So when kids get older, like, you know, the 15, 16, 17, and you talk to them about it, just, you can just say, Hey, you know what I mean? I need you to understand that porn is not real, right? Like the stuff you're seeing on your screen is sex, is sexual, but it's not sex. Like that's not what sex in the real world looks like. People don't look like that. People don't talk to each other like that. They don't do a lot of that stuff in those orders, at least. And definitely not in those percentages, right? Yes, right. Um, So just making sure that kids understand that. And then honestly, with older teens, I just say, you know what? Only look at it 50% of the time, right? The other half of the time, just use your brain and your imagination. Because that's, for me, I think the biggest detriment for kids using porn so much 
because they don't do it the way that we did it when they were ages, when we were their ages. You know, again, like the generation difference is huge. I have so many kids that I've talked to that look at porn 100% of the time that they're masturbating, right? And that hasn't really happened before. No, and it used to be yeah. you could, if you could get the magazine to look at, you looked at it and then you yeah. had to store that image up there and recall it. Yeah, it was like a fun bonus. It right. That wasn't right. a feature, right? And so, but now it is. And so the biggest concern I have for that is is kind of the eroding away or the atrophying of imagination muscles mm-hmm. because that's what we need to have empathy for people, to be in a relationship. Um, that imagination is very, very important. So I really advocate for older kids, use your imagination half the time, use somebody else's imagination for the other half of the time, but keep it at 50%. It's a good guideline then. It's the kind of thing that uh, appeals teen boys can think that way. They can think in percentages. And when you talk about, and here's why, because you know as well that there are instances where there are very young men that are having difficulties with erections in real life situations. And people are linking that to reliance, over-reliance on porn. Yeah. And I mean, there's no, the science is weird on it. There's not any kind of direct studies that are addressing that right now. Nobody wants to fund a study that- That's what I was going to say. So that's a hard one. But yeah, no, I, there's a percentage of clients of kids that I have at any given time who have issues with that. And and it does seem like a thing. So helping untrain their brain and learn their way out of that uh, can be a really big challenge. I'm not a person or a professional who, you know, I don't think of porn as bad or wrong in and of itself. I think, you know, obviously big picture, the the porn culture has some issues, um, but I put it more in the category of like money or alcohol. Like it's not, it's not bad or evil. It's how you deal with it mm-hmm. that matters. And so helping kids develop good, you know, what I call porn literacy skills mm-hmm. is really important as they get older. If somebody wants to get a hold of you to give a talk, uh, talk about what education options you have available, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, the website. So beheroes.net is okay. my website. And yeah, there's, I've got a menu of the talks that I, I do on there that people can choose from. And the, the, uh, the free PDFs guidelines that you were talking about are on there as well and links to the books. And yeah. that's the best way to get a hold of me at my website. For parents, the most important thing, again, like we kind of started talking about, is just being nice to yourself. Um, you know how to do this already. Right, whether the conversation is about porn or about their smartphone or about Snapchat or about dating or about um, LGBT issues, um, parents already have the muscles to do this. Right, um, we do it with diet. We do it with you know what foods our kids can eat and can't eat. We do it with safety. We do. We talk about seatbelts and handrails. You know, we don't want them flying through the windshield. We we are, we're, that makes us uncomfortable. So we talk about wearing seatbelts. We already have these parenting muscles. So don't worry that you can't do this. The only difference is the topic matter. So you've got this. Thank nice. you so much for your time today. This yeah. has been really helpful. And I wish that I was closer to the left coast so I could go hear you talk. Thanks for joining us. You can find the show notes for this episode at onboyspodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, please share this podcast with your friends and even your community groups and schools will benefit from knowing about this resource.